Join us on This Week with Sabir as we welcome expert in remote work management, Sharon Koifman, uh, with nearly two decades of experience running three companies 100% remotely. He shares his strategy for strategies for cracking the code of managing and succeeding in a remote work environment, from building a positive company culture to overcoming communication uh, challenges. We'll dive into the ins and outs of uh, remote work success with Sharon Kaufman. Sharon, welcome to the show. Hi, Sabir. Pleasure having a uh, pleasure being there, and thank you for having me. So you know. All of my guests start out by telling the audience who they are, what's their superhero backstory, what got you into like remote work. Just tell us the early stages first and, and who you are. Okay, so you got to know me. My name is uh, Sharon Koifman. I have been running companies from my own computer for more, I say two decades, but I started even when I was younger, when I... My first model was my dad that actually ran an engineering firm all directly from his computer. I'm, I'm talking about old school, multi-million dollar cable and manufacturing machine for factories where usually people have a lineup of engineer in the office and everything is built in the office. He designed everything on his own computer and sent it to the machine shop. The machine shop shipped all the pieces to the client. He hired four people to put it together, all doing this from his room. So I, when I've seen it, I decided that I want to run companies like that. And I started by running a web hosting company and outsourcing solution where my servers were in New Jersey. My team were in India. We had two offices back, back there. And I managed them all from, from my own computer. Um, but... Hiring a whole bunch of people in India gave me a huge experience with what it means to actually work remotely. And we and when I sold the company, I realized that there is a fundamental weakness with the outsourcing model, which means you you don't have people that are fully integrated, that are fully invested in this beautiful thing, this company that you built. And I Notice, I noticed a lot, of, a lot of that challenge that came with that outsourcing model. So then I decided that for my next operation, after I had a consulting company in between, which also gained a lot of experience, but I decided that maybe the focus should be on people and focus should be on just bringing you the smartest, most awesome people. And back then, incredibly affordable people that will integrate as part of your company culture and part of the processes that you build. And that's when I started building Distant Job, which really focused on career-driven, focused individuals instead of me managing projects for people that are clearly a lot more qualified. Got it. Now, um, there, are, there are always challenges with companies, right? From startups to all the way to Fortune uh, 100 companies. And the challenge, I mean, I think that some of those challenges were answered thanks to a world pandemic that we had, right? Or we are having still, uh, depending on what country you live in. You're, I think you're physically in Canada right now. Yes, in Montreal. That's in right. Montreal. So uh, I think uh, the pandemic helped explain to a lot of and show to a lot of companies that, um, you know, people don't have to show up to work physically in order to do their job. 
a lot of positions can be done remotely. All they need is a good internet connection. They need, they can be part of Zoom meetings and they can just do their work. And then this way, even, even the workers got happy that they had more family time and friend time that they can spend it on instead of commuting back and forth. On average, most people, especially where I live in New York, people commute an hour plus each way. So two, three hours is spent being in a train, looking at strangers. In the morning, it's okay because everybody showers. Uh, at nighttime, not so good. You know? And you're all crammed in together like that, especially this is a problem in New York. Well, you're missing one really key component. You mentioned all the simple advantages out there, but the most important advantage is that people are more productive. This is, is. This is, this is key here because, the, yes, amazing stuff. Don't need to drive. More family, more quality time. Good life balance. Great. I'm big proponent of it. But MIT Sloan has done a uh, re research on this topic even way before the COVID started. Actually, the research that was pre-COVID was a lot more precise because once COVID came in, a lot of people were miserable. There was a lot of mental health issues, and it was harder to find the science. But before that, there was, there was quite a lot of research and science done on people that made a choice to go uh, remote. And not only they were happier and more independent, they actually were significantly more productive. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can, uh, Sharon, I can relate to that. I can go, like, let's say my meeting ends at 11 for, for one of my meetings, for example. My next meeting could start at 11, you know, and I can go from one Zoom meeting, finish up that, and then go to the next one. I can record that meeting. I can transcribe it. I can, I can get notes from it. And thanks to, I'm, I've even incorporated AI into my, meeting notes and meeting summaries. So, I, I mean, I, I mean, we're living in the age of chat GPT, GPT-3 right now. There are a wow, lot of wow. interesting applications right now. So uh, I, I even use that in order to make myself even more productive so that I can go from one meeting to the next. One meeting, I could be meeting with a client that's in New York. The next meeting, I, they could be in California. And, and the following meeting, they could be in Texas, right? And I've had clients in the morning timeframes in Europe that imagine in the old world i have to travel and now i'm not talking to any client except for that client for a week or three days while while i'm traveling you know it's just the productivity you're so right that the productivity is so on point uh you know but you have to know the ins and outs so what do you think is the how do you define and measure success with re remote work management like i'm sure that every manager out there has that question Look, this is without a doubt one of the biggest challenges in general in management, not just in remote management. How do you know that uh, uh, people are, are getting it right? Look, in, in my company, um, I've had the challenge of figuring out how do I know that my recruiters are actually hitting the marks? They're actually putting effort that they're not sitting there and wiggling their thumbs uh, around um, and sending me just claiming that they're doing stuff. You got to implement proper KPIs. You got to track those KPIs. The more software, the better. That that would be great. So I have um, proper software that actually evaluates um, how many messages are being sent, how many messages are being responded to, and this this gives gives you the ability to analyze your productivity. 
it, it is a big challenge because nobody's going to be as good as the manager or as the boss. The boss probably have significantly more product productivity than the average employee. But you want to understand what is the lower standards, which you do that by implementing some kind of form of agile strategy. If you get people actually challenging themselves, challenging each other, instead of you standing the standard, this is the amount of, this is the amount that you need to do. Um, if you don't do it, you don't pass. Having them challenge each other and being able to analyze it through some kind of KPI, it gives you the ability to figure out eventually what are the right standards for proper, proper productivity. Yeah, is there a because on this show I like sharing? Uh, I ask my guests to share their um, specific case studies, examples, so that people can learn from it. Is there a like a specific uh, case study or example that exceeded expectation and, and achieved outstanding results? Well, so we like I said, we build an in-house software to analyze the amount of uh, messaging that has been sent. So I'm using my own company as an example. I did not know how to analyze my first few recruiters. I would say, hey, you brought results. Yay, I would hire somebody experienced and I would get results. And that was just not professional, Consider that now we have about uh, 27 recruiters. Um, and you need to sit there and to be able to analyze them. So we build our own in-house software that, that, actually, that they have to go through in order to send them to in order to solicit people in order to send messages in order to make phone calls you need to log it in and when when i have had this type of um this type of power this type of um source of information how many outbound calls and messages are happening how many um response are coming back how many um um how many back and forth conversations? All the statistics gave me the power to to set the proper KPI. Once I had that KPI, I would not actually declare what is the right amount. I would just treat my people with the utmost respect, empowering them, and give them the opportunity to empower each other in terms of what kind of results and being transparent with the results, so people seeing the standards and obviously. But the better people are, obviously, they get the promotions, they get the bonuses, they get everything of that sort. That worked well while making sure that people feeling like they're part of the company, part of the culture, people are feeling treated well. So they keep on being pumped and motivated to do to do the great things that they do. So actually, you pointed to something interesting in, in what, what you just said. Uh, and uh, I'm going to pick on that a little bit more. For when, sure. So let me share with you like traditional workplace, right? In a traditional workplace, there are certain things you do. Uh, it's part of like company culture, right? Uh, company culture, positive or negative. I'll, I'll, I'll share both of them, right? The, in a traditional sense, when you go to an office and you go and work in an office, you have water cooler conversations. You have, um, you know, either your company does monthly birthdays, right? All the January babies, all the February babies, and then they get one cake and everybody cut, you know, you know, it gets cut up and, and they celebrate all the January birthdays and February birthdays and so on. Um, on Thursday nights, you go out with your coworkers and you have happy hour. You know, I'm not, I'm not condoning drinking. It's just socializing, you know, uh, there might be, um, you know, summer picnics, uh, other types of events where 
maybe the CEO or the leader of a group, depending on how big the company is, maybe a leader of a department or a manager of a department does hurrah, hurrah with their, uh, with their employees and stuff like that. There's a lot of like physical interaction that happens in that sort of a culture where you're creating, that's the positive side of uh, company building. It's, it's positive uh, activities that you're engaging in. But there are negative things also, right? Where people are manipulating each other and talking behind each other's backs and uh, you know doing nasty things. I don't want to go too much into that, but that that happens in every kind of company I've I've come across. Whether it's a two-person startup to a Fortune 500 companies, you know, always there's some kind of negative uh, company culture in there. Uh, either it's just uh, that's what's expected because the culture condones it. Maybe like in a financial situation financial services companies where it is it is a cutthroat kind of a environment where uh, one person has to beat the other person's portfolio and winning means that versus you know um, in other companies they don't allow for that you know because that's that doesn't uh, cultivate like a positive company culture in any way but in that other case it works you know so everything I just described, when it comes to remote working, where you're sitting in your office, like you and I are, right? We're sitting in our home office. We are, we are working with our teams that are dispersed across the world, potentially, right? You just mentioned in the very beginning, I had a team in India, I had a, a team in the Ukraine, and I have a team in the United States, and somebody worked for me from Romania, right? I mean, those are just examples. How do you cultivate that? Because there's cultural differences between every one of those countries, right? Somebody from India, what means positive to them is very different than somebody who lives in Romania versus Kansas City or Toronto, right? Very different perspectives. How do you cultivate that sort of a positive company culture in that in that sense? If you could just go through some examples and, and your thoughts on the on that topic. Sure. So so you went through through a few points. First of all, the negative aspect of culture is only in reference to the culture that the owners and the managers make. If there's manipulation, if there's competition, if there's backstabbing, I believe it's simply a reflection of what the management and the owners are doing. Um, look, I've had to cut cut out um, certain toxic uh, ma managers and management in, in my company um, throughout the years. This is an absolute requirement in order to have a positive culture. But I'm a huge advocate of culture. My company, I take a huge pride that we probably have the best company culture where it comes to remote environment. But in order to properly implement culture, we actually need to know what it means, right? And everybody talks about culture as, like you mentioned, picnics, parties, happy hours, birthdays. But that's not a culture. That's an activity that hopefully promotes culture. But in order to implement all these activities, you actually need to understand what is it that you're doing. So I, I've been searching for even for my book and for my, um, for any kind of, for my, my podcast and everything. I, I needed to find out what is culture. And when you, when you Google um, culture, you get this huge definitions that mean absolutely nothing it's the dna of the company it's the it's the way that the company feels and everything and i needed to cut it down to a definition that is one word 
right? And it, once you have one word, you can actually try to measure it and to have a goal. So for me, culture means connection. It means the connection between you and the company, um, thus creating loyalty. It is the connection between um, two people, which creates better teamwork. And even connection to the client means that you are on the same wavelength as, as your client. But the key is connection. And whatever activity you implement has to reach that increase in connection within the company. Once you understand that goal, it's easier to, to start implementing activities and all this cool happy hours and the parties and everything that you mentioned might boost the owner's ego, but they might not create a connection. In my company, I've done a lot of research. I actually try to replicate the, um, the party experience, which was very difficult, which I tried to do Zoom parties. I'm I'm a pretty big a drinker. My, <laughs> I'm not sure people try it. I, I'm, I'm a big drinker myself. And we, instead of not to promote alcoholism, we actually said everybody can bring any kind of drink, a coffee, a juice, a beer, and let's go hang out. And people loved it for the first time. The first time, hey, the boss is talking. We're all joking around. Second time, a little bit less. The third time, I've created this great trust within my people where they can come to me and say, yeah, this sucks. And it sucked <laughs> because it was just me having conversation with some of the managers and everybody sitting there with their biggest drinks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it just didn't, didn't create um, the type of connection. Didn't create connection after the third meeting which I left that activity for once a year, once a year, which is good. But I needed to search for what created more connections. So I started having one-on-ones with my, with my teammates, with my head managers. And I noticed, and the feedback that I got is that people really start connecting. I start becoming real friends. And this was six, seven years ago. I became really close with my management team. And I said, aha, this works. So in the beginning, we implemented uh, an app called Donut into our Slack technology. And Donut uh, takes random people and connect and uh, and oh, connect them. Yes, and, and they have 15 minutes and people need to actually meet each other. The one-on-one worked excellent. Um, but I also learned throughout the years that you got to evolve ideas because the um, the donuts start getting old. So then we implemented a hangout, which is four and four people. Again, having keep on getting that feedback from people. There's no perfect way of measuring it besides feedback, but keep on getting that feedback from people that you're creating connection. Maybe my, my team lied to me all the time, but I continuously <laughs> get amazing compliments about how people feel so connected. Even if we have a fully distributed team, everybody is in different countries. I go out of my way to make sure that people are in different countries. So there's not going to be that click, right? And we we do have a little bit of, there's starting to be concentration in certain countries and you start feeling that click. But at the end of the day, it is that continuous pursuit of connection and getting feedback that will let you do this. And we also do all the fun stuff we did focus on. So there's a lot of gaming. I like cards and board games in virtual uh, reality, not just in, in, in non-virtual, in, in the digital sense. So not 
not uh, playing video games. Also, some of my team as team members play video games with each other. I like when you take a physical game and you use some digital technology. So we actually have a great time, although I might get sued one day because of it for playing Cards Against Humanities, right? It's it's a lot of fun. Everybody uh, gets a gets a kick out of it. A little controversial of a game, but it gets people talking and hanging and communicating. So it is a continuous evolved process, but as long as you remember that the key component is connection, you can create an un- better culture than what you would have in the company. And in, again, in terms of toxicity, you got to focus on asshole-free environment. <laughs> so actually, I, 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 uh, I can relate to that. I've been in environments where uh, the those events, like celebrating birthdays and having a holiday party, for example, is supposed to be for the employees, right? Yes. But I was part of one company where you could feel feel it that even among the people, the employees, they didn't feel like they were part of it. It was it, it felt like the party was for the owner or the management, not for them. There's right? some parties. But the problem, but the problem with it is if the environment is toxic, you said toxicity, right? So if the environment is toxic, those kinds of events where you think is connecting people, they're not, they're actually despising you even more because yeah. you just created a platform for the owner to to get a pat on their back for throwing a party. Nobody is enjoying. <laughs> Nobody is enjoying. If you thought that the employees are enjoying it, no, you're doing it to boost your own ego. And worse, if if it's a toxic environment, that upper management might be the toxicity in the company that's promoting that to just kind of uh, promote that kind of a, a not, not promote, but uh, th- that's what they celebrate. And the environment maybe celebrates toxicity that way, right? Where the where the VP of whatever is doing this and throwing the party, and she thinks that. You know, uh, for people to think that, oh, this is going to be helping them boost their morale and stuff. It doesn't. Uh, She's actually what she's doing is showing off to the boss that she is. um, Look how great she is, how how fun she is. Right. And and somehow the boss sees that. And maybe if the boss doesn't understand it beyond the layers of that nonsense, you know, that's going to even build more toxicity among the employees thinking that, well, we don't matter this VP matters to this boss and this party is just for the two of them. It has nothing to do with us. So even something that you thought would be a positive event is not a positive event. It's actually a very toxic event. You, you, you got to measure at the end of the day, you got to measure the results. I, I, I completely, completely hear you. I, I mean, the, those parties I hear, Stories about multi-million dollar parties, the coolest thing. Look at us. We are so awesome. We saw everything. I'm pretty sure the people have fun doing it, being part of the company, but it, got, it comes back to the standards and you got to measure. And measure comes from feedback. And you cannot, and this is another important component, you cannot get proper feedback. You cannot have a KPI in your connection if you're not building trust, if you're not building um an environment that it's safe to to provide feedback like like your organization uh you have that level of trust with them that if there's an issue they come to you go like sharon that sucked that was horrible don't do it again <laughs> right 
it it look where it comes to my company so I, I can talk about from this experience it requires an intense amount of discipline um to to create this level of trust and you you gotta pay attention for any comments that come from the top to the bottom because if people give feedback and the and the response is why are you wasting my time um why you're why you're doing this um you start shouting there's a lot of bosses that just that are just unpredictable sometimes they're nice sometimes they're not they're jackal and hyde kind of bosses and people do not want to offer this feedback but i feel that part of the strength of my company is the the people that the the people that are so comfortable in giving feedback and being and making mistakes and taking chances and learning from those mistakes that at the end of the day i barely need to run the day-to-day experience hmm. yeah you just have to build that framework of trust that that within it and it goes throughout the organization not just limited to one or two people so even the most junior person in the organization should be able to give that feedback absolutely and and sometimes and and it comes with a little bit of a challenge because sometimes the most junior people when you create this empowerment they give you feedback and you're like uh okay i like look little look little chump you know you 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 just started here 2 weeks ago i i, I can't take your feedback seriously but you got to be so careful because you can't say stuff like that so you got to say oh thank you for the feedback right i appreciate it no problem and and don't anytime that you become an asshole to somebody it's it's three months backwards in trust building and anybody that heard that anybody that heard that um that toxicity is also part of that uh, part of the damage that you created so if you're an owner or manager that is interested in building this trust any mistake costs a lot it's an investment in just being kind all day long and even if your employees are wrong and even if your employees screw it up you got to figure out the language so so strictly because you're just going to lose this this improvement in trust building that you very much need in a company at least in my opinion so i i think that that's such a key point right when you're talking to a person right let's say let's go with that example of the most junior person right if you respond in a very uh sort of a negative way right it sounds to them that you're insulting them and maybe to them that's the best idea they have right if you don't talk to them properly what what happens is they get crushed now any other ideas they have in future they're first of all very careful they're not going to share that with you at all none right? none mm-hmm. zero and moreover they might be in a in in a group of four or five other people they say oh how did your conversation go with Sharon or Sabir right how did it go with Sabir oh um i i brought that up i thought it was a very good idea uh I, he didn't give me any kind of a criticism in fact he made fun of me right and I don't think I want to talk to Sabir again because you know anything I I say to him I, he just shuts 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 me down. Why am I? Why the hell would I want to even bother with that? Because it upsets me. Also, 
he's telling that story to four other people or she is telling that story to four other people. Absolutely. Right? Now, yep. to your point of minus 90 days, three months, it's minus 90 days times five. Yes, it's, it's exactly. Four people he talked to and him, five people. Oh, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't be talking to Sabir because he doesn't take uh, criticism well. He does not give any kind of feedback. If, if my idea was crap, let's say, but he should have told me like how I can... I can, you know, work on that to make make it a better suggestion. There's a way to talk to people. He just came back to me and and hit me over the head and said, "No, never ever make any suggestions ever again." <laughs> Look, and and the the trust building, which I heavily invest in my book, um, the trust building component doesn't stop with just getting feedback and and mistreating the feedback. It's also creating a mistake-friendly environment, right? And this is something that a, a lot of a lot of bosses um, don't seem to notice. I don't know. I don't know how other CEOs build their companies. I will be very transparent and honest. I literally build my companies one mistake at a time. I literally climb on mistakes, climb on mistake, moved around, maneuvered, and continue going. And, and growing it to the beautiful company that it is today. And, and the, the challenge with, with employees in a company, they don't feel comfortable doing the same thing. They don't feel comfortable taking those leaps unless a boss is so clear that it's okay. I've um, implemented this, what I call the, uh, the partner strategy. Why do I call it the partner? Because when you have a partner in the company, when you call owners three, four, two, three, four, all these people are actually expected to take risky initiatives and making mistakes. And when you make the mistakes, 90% of the time, your other partners go, okay, okay, you made the mistake. What did we learn from it? Um, what did we gain from it? The partner is the is the person that is supposed to give you unsolicited advice there's not a, there's no holdback where there's no holdback when you go with the partner you're depending on it on this person or that uh, or that team to be the co-pilots in your company but the moment a person does not get equity they get a salary they no longer have that power at least feel that that the power and it's up to you as the manager and the owner to make those employees, especially your managers, feel like partners. And when they start feeling like partners, they take ownership, they start giving you feedback, unsolicited feedback, they start taking risks and mistakes because they know there's no consequences. Creating that partner relationship is how you build trust. So the other side of the coin of connecting is communication, right? Yes. Um, the thing is, it's not like I can walk over to your office, knock on your door and go like, hey, Sharon, uh, we have a problem. Can we sit down and quickly talk about this? We're remote working. I'm in India. I'm in New York right now. But let's say I'm in India. You're mm -hmm. sitting in Quebec. There's a time shift issue. There's a communication level issue. My English is very different than your English, right? Uh, yes. You know, what you mean by certain things, I have a completely different meaning to it. So how do you... Uh, how do you like address communication challenges with with kind of uh, different types of cultures and language barriers uh, that people have on your team? 
they might be fabulous software engineers. They are the best Python coder in the world, right? English skills are not so great, you know? So how do you how do you address the like communication challenges among your because of culture, because of language barriers between the the team members? Sabir, the the challenge with my company is if you're not strong communicator and you're not a culture fit, chances are you're not hired. <laughs> right? And, and I guess it's not so not that you're making me feel. I feel like I'm not being so kind about this because I'm literally asking people from different cultures to fit mine. And yikes, it, it is it, it is kind of cruel, but it is kind yeah, of a I'm, little I'm bit Indian, of a I'm Ukrainian, I'm not Canadian, you know? Yes. <laughs> so we are a lot of people from India, a lot of people from Ukraine. And my first two offices were in Agrabad and Pune. And I, and my component was, and, and, South Asia do have a little bit more of a cultural challenge, incredibly smart, talented, skilled people. And I kind of demand during the onboard to get on the wavelength with me. I, you know, in Asia, there is a little bit of a challenge that there is a, a subordinate and a dominant mm -hmm. uh, aspect to the cultures where um, you just listen and you say yes. And I penalize that. And when I say penalize, I don't hurt anybody and everything, but they understand <laughs> that that affects their promotion, that affects their responsibilities because I show through example that the people that have the most opinion that offer me unsolicited feedbacks get promoted. They get higher. Um, so if you don't speak English, I can't hire you. I'm sorry. If I don't understand you and you don't understand me, we're not a fit. I, I don't have I don't have a good I, I don't give a good example for that. If you don't understand what I'm saying, this is not whether it's not just a question of English. If I give you certain set of instructions and you say yes and you don't do them, or it is them what it is. Wrong. <laughs> oh you know wrong, it's okay. It's a mistake, but eventually you got to listen. You you got to communicate. So communication is such a crucial aspect of my management process. So like I said, I, I have a hard time hiring people that I, I can't understand or they don't understand me. And eventually it's not going to work out. The people that do understand me, I need them in a certain way to communicate with me or my management at least once a day. And that is. That does not have to be through voice. If you're introvert and we're very pro introvert kind of company, I, I believe that introverts are significantly more productive and smarter and do things better. Um, if you give them the right working environment, which is one of the disadvantages of working in an office, introverts can never um, succeed or it's very hard. But the idea is you don't want to communicate by voice. Please clarify your goals of the day in our project management software and let us know how did it work and we're mistake friendly. And, and that is, that comes with a lot of people say when I need to report every day, I'm afraid to tell people that it didn't succeed. So when you give me three, four days buffer, I, I feel like I, I have more time to have a good day and a bad day with us. Have a bad day. We don't care. Just communicate. Please just let us know 
Don't disappear. Disappear is my number one biggest sin. If you are sick, if you don't feel well, if you're in the hospital bed, if you're any, if you're in the hospital bed, I need your family to tell me so I can figure out to help you, right? And fund the doctors and do the good things that I do, right? So I, I want to be part of the team that makes sure that you're okay if you have something really. So communicate. Tell your family members to call me. I need to know. I need to know. So disappearing is a, bi- a biggest sin. Please do not disappear. If I'm having a conversation and suddenly you're not there, it's like, don't just come back like nothing happened. Say, oh, crap, I had my 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 kid just uh, had a, a crisis. And then everybody's good. Just don't disappear. Once you ex- accept the aspect that you don't disappear, now please communicate. Please tell me um, what is your plans? What is your strategy? What is it that you want to do? And you can do it once a day. What do you want to do? And then tell me that from the day before, what is it that you don't want to accomplish? I actually recommend it at the end of the day instead of the beginning of the day because beginning of the day is the most productive time of your day. You don't want to be distracted with emails and none, and all bunch of, of uh, small things. Just that communication and, again, making sure that at least – Every once in a while, we just talk about social fun things. Creates an incredible amount of communication. The right amount of communication without distracting people, and the right amount of um, and and the right amount of connection. You know, I've worked with remote workers from many different countries uh, over my career. What I find, you know, one of the comments you just made uh, about. Uh, uh, Asia, specifically, what I found in my case is that uh, people from Philippines, the Philippines, you know, I have, I've had VAs and I've had other very talented marketing managers and stuff from the Philippines. It has taken me like time and time again, it has taken me up to three months to break the ice, right? To For the person to understand that, you know, this is, I'm not a Filipino uh, boss. I'm an American boss, right? It's very different, right? Culturally, it is different. It's okay for you to say to me, you know what? I have a different idea. How about we approach it this other way, right? It's okay for you to do that. I understand that culturally, when you are in a different, maybe in a Filipino uh, corporate culture, you're not supposed to talk back to me. I'm telling you it's okay. It's okay. For me, 100% okay. When you tell me that, oh, the Google ads, if we set it up this way, I have a suggestion. What what if we should set it up this way? It would be better than this other way that you're suggesting. Let's have that healthy dialogue. And I and you're not going to get penalized for, uh, you know, talking back to me or anything like that. I don't take it that way. But in other cultures, talking back to your boss is taken that way. And that's why that's a cultural barrier. I think you need to, if especially if you come from a different culture, you said that you know you were imposing your Canadian culture on, on other people. The same thing is like, if you are, at least tell them what your expectations are. I think setting clear expectations of what great looks like and what working with you looks like and having that sort of a, a expectation set w- with your uh, remote working employees, I think it's that's what they expect you to do. But it's not a one-time conversation. Like I said, from my experience, and I've been doing this for many years now, like close to 20 years now, that I find that every time they, you know, you you come across a different culture, 
start from zero think that you need to learn their culture also not that they are you're expected them to learn everything you have to offer from your culture then you're feeding them your culture and they don't get it they don't understand they watch american movies but they don't understand where you're coming from because it's it's movies <laughs> you're a real life person you know so i think setting uh, clear expectations is one of those things but with remote working what are some of the challenges you faced with setting uh clear expectations and making sure that you do have some sort of follow-up so first of all and to follow up what you mentioned started with repeat 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 the first week is the most important week in your onboarding you have to uh remove this non-committal culture that is been created in the remote world this misconception that once you go remote you suddenly become a freelancer an outsourcing employee a consultant i call this the non-committals in my in my book um and no i want the person to be fully structured career-driven individual that integrates into what i've built this is this is my set of expectations on the outboarding in that one first week, like you mentioned, I want continuous unsolicited feedback. I very much respect, I tell them from the day one that I did not earn your trust yet. It's trust is a is a mutual thing, right? I want to trust my people, but they need to trust me. And it goes back to the same theme of you need to trust me that when you give feedback or when you make mistakes, I'm not going to shut down your throat. I'm going to see this as a learnings. I don't see them as mistakes. I see them as experiments, right? So, so I need to build that trust. And from day one, I try to show them that I'm a trustworthy boss. But at the same time, I need communication. And the better communicator you are, the better the more successful you will be in the company and i try to show examples and examples is having my my manage managers in the in the meeting of the department in the meeting of the company calling me out on my bullshit this is very very powerful it's actually an accelerator for trust building which is my major theme creating creating trust and sometimes we, when I come into the marketing department and there's a new employee and he sees that my um, VP of marketing sits there and says, sure, no, 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 you're wrong. This is not good. You're, you're, you're sending my team in the wrong direction. And I go, oh, okay, sorry. People see that. And they're like, whoa, this, this just happened. And this is how you get people to understand the communication and you need to repeat 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 the the bad communication you know i just i just had that example with my accountant she my 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 new accountant in the company um she she starts saying um you, you know if we, if we're not going to get paid by this company um we're not going to be able to pay uh, to pay that candidate. But that was like a soft-spoken side note. And I'm like sitting there, listen, this is a big deal what you said. Could you take ownership of this? We're not paying a candidate is a big deal in our company. 
Why are you just saying, guys? It's not I, a casual thing. <laughs> it's not a casual thing. So tonality matters, right? Taking control matters. Ownership matters. Saying, guys, I need this to be dealt with. This is also an important part of, of a communication. Now, you have to be very careful. Now we're going to a, a different subject because one of the key to productivity is not getting distracted. So you want to make sure that when people communicate to each other, they are not distracting one another. This is this is very important. So this is the thing. You want a daily update. You want it written. You want to communicate. you got to make sure that you're not doing it while people are working on their project and task in the middle because that's incredibly distracting. That's all the things that you need to think about when it comes to uh, communication in the short time that we have, at least. <laughs> okay. Um, Zoom, Teams, Asana, Basecamp. I mean, I could pile it on, right? A, a bunch of tech, a bunch of technology, right? Uh, there's a lot of it, right? So what are your some of your recommendations for what should that, you know, given your experience of remote working, what should be if 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 a company is thinking about remote working, what are what is that basic stack of of tech stack of of uh, remote working tech stack that you need in your organization that's not too intrusive uh, but it's very helpful in in uh, you know as uh, the right tools from your experience. So my my policy in when it comes to choosing technology and I, and I I'm a goal oriented guy. I, I like before throwing a bunch of technologies that will be outdated in, in two months from now, I like to create a goal for people. Why are they picking and choosing specific technology? The biggest weakness with remote work, I, I like to think that remote work is, the majority of the cases, the best solution to almost any company out there. There's one weakness that social experience a little bit affect the connection that I was talking about. There is a little bit of a handicap in the culture that you can compensate very easily. But you want to feel as close as possible to the person that you're communicating with. That And that's where technology matters the most. Um, you well, Before we actually had the, uh, the interview, Sabir, you did an incredible job <laughs> um, making sure that um, we we use the best technology for for least latency, that the sound quality sounds better, that the streaming experience is the best. This matters. It matters a lot. When people are talking about this Zoom fatigue, really what they're talking about is the little discrepancies that are happening in happening in your digital communication that you don't feel in the real physical world. This is why you get the Zoom fatigue, because in a world that the, your brain and your eyes and your ears are, are built to register exactly what you what is in front of you, and the digital kind of creates discrepancies, it creates latencies, it creates, um, it, it creates uh, tiny noises, it creates... Uh, low quality sound the lighting the the all that stuff that your brain is so adjusted in the real world 
if you ask me about the first most important investment in in remote work is to to get the best headset that you get um i like i please don't get the audiophil um technologies not the not the Sony's, the Bose, although the Bose lately is is catching up. I, I so I give credit to that specific company. Not uh, um, the Logitechs. There's two companies that really do great products, and that's Jabra and Platronic. Far from perfect. I have not I've not found headset that I can comfortably put on my ears all day long. That they're cool. That, that everything sounds great, but. The job and the platonic depends on your budget, so I'm not going to mention one specific technology. Those are the good brands to go with in order to get the quality audio that you need. Um, I have recently discovered an improvement on the webcam that I that I move around a lot with, and that's why I'm actually not using it today. It's the Logitech Mivo that does a great job bringing you closer, bringing you backwards making the experience more interaction. Look, I'm waiting for the holograms. I'm waiting for the virtual <laughs> reality experience, although those virtual reality headsets are not so comfortable. But I'm waiting for that experience that I get to hang out with the person in front of me as if he, were, if he or she were physical. So, But until then, the, 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 uh, the um, Jabra Evolve uh, headsets are wonderful. Um, so is the... PL Focus, the Platronics, and the Mevo is very good. And really, it's time to get HD cameras and and 4K cameras because it makes a difference. And even purchase one of those lights that, if I would not have great light from the outside, I would I would uh, I would light I, I would beam some light at us to make that experience much better. Where it comes to the digital, I we have tested. Um, we have tested some um, of the best um, conference software out there. Even five years ago, Zoom was the best functioning and easiest to use. Easiest is so, so important because when you come in into a conversation and you say, oh, this is not working, oh, this, I can't find my audio, I can't this, oh, the wrong operating system and everything, it creates that Zoom fatigue. It, it creates that that negative experience that you don't want to go back to to have a conversation. So the best combination that I found was Slack and Zoom. Um, Slack organizes my people much better. He, he has the best plugin like the donut and the hangout that I was mentioning before. <laughs> it's easy for me to go just like I would be in a physical office where I talk to a person and say, you know, let's have a meeting. I can do slash Zoom and Zoom pops up. That is, those small things create a remote experience that is much better. Last thing you mentioned, the project management software. Um, mm. The ones that does uh, the best job for me, and it's and it really is about your management style, so um, it, it's hard for me to suggest, but we actually made a decision to go with Basecamp. Uh, mm. Basecamp is, the, is, the, is a remote-first company, so they build it. Uh, according to their needs, which is great. The user experience is, eh, I, I wish it could be better, but at least it, it creates a great environment from what I was mentioning at the end of the day to, to tell your, um, mention what you want to accomplish and create goals. So 
Basecamp has done a great job, at least at our our level, which we are 70 employees, um, give us the right environment to keep people updated and seeing it and visually seeing it very, very well. So those are the technologies, but whatever technology you choose, you got to think about how you get closest to the person you're talking to, how you reduce that Zoom fatigue, even if you don't use Zoom, which often is doesn't some of the other software out there are so buggy in terms of integration. And you need to be able to replicate your management experience the best way that you can. And for us, that was Basecamp. Uh, one one uh, question just kind of came into my mind. My son um, is a remote worker, right? He um, he finished I up see. college. He got hired by Schwab, you know, the financial co services company. Yes. And before he would uh, start his job, UPS delivered a box to him. And that box had everything in there. The headset, the microphone, lighting, everything was everything was set up for him. Brilliant. They, that entire package, literally all he needed was internet connection, plug it in, and boom, he was online, right? Yes. How much do you believe, right, that um, – because you mentioned that – because th there's a disparity, right? Your, your assumption is people should have a better microphone. They should have a headphone. One of the things that happened with the beginning of the pandemic, because I am also – I also sit at charter schools, you know, public charter schools, Right. And yeah. there was a discussion, a debate among the board board of advisors about, you know, oh, yeah, they'll just get on the Internet and they'll just Zoom. The question I asked was, you're assuming that everybody is at the same income level. <laughs> you know, everybody has Internet connection. They may not. Their Internet might be just a phone, one phone that mom has. That's it. Nobody. There is no Internet connection coming to the house. Right. Uh, and let alone iPads or Android tablets or whatever you think people should have, they may not have it. It's just you're, there's a huge assumption that they have it. Even as a worker, right, your worker in Philippines, maybe that paycheck that you'll give them, the first paycheck, would be their, their way of earning money to pay their rent, you know, for example, or, or buying food or something like that. And on top of it, now you're saying, oh, your camera is bad. Go and change it, Right. That could be a huge expense in the Philippines, United States and Canada. It, it's a, you go on Amazon, you order it. It's like 30, 40 bucks and you're fine. Right. A, a low end one, you know, but that 30, 40 bucks in Philippines is, is a whole month's pay, you know? So how much of that technology that you're prescribing for your, especially if those remote workers are not freelancers, they're your employees, right? They're on your payroll. They work 40 hours a week. They, they work for you 100% of the time. They don't, they don't have freelance work that they, they do across the board. What is the company's responsibility to create that box to send to them and say, okay, thank you for starting up as part of your orientation, unpack this, connect it, and then, and then uh, you, know, you have the same equipment that everybody else has? You know, first of all, that's brilliant. I love it. And I'm like, I don't even do that. And I should. <laughs> right. So, so, so the responsibility is all with you, right? There's no question about it. every person who comes online. I'm asking them, let me, let me hear you. Let me hear your headphones. Let me hear your quality. Check your internet boost, put it on, put it on the company's bills. Right. So I, I, that's very cool what you're mentioning. And there's companies who took it to the next level because in order to create amazing security, you can, the, the, 
the one of the only ways to truly create a killer security environment is to ship your own laptop, right? Certain companies were which were security intensive, ship a laptop with all the configuration to the to the employee so they can use and work within a secure environment. So yeah, different budget for companies, different budget for employees. But yes, it is a a company's responsibility, even a low budget company, to go and to say, "Let me hear you." If the if when I'm talking, you if you if you drive, you gotta the boss, the management, they gotta pay attention to their own sanity. <laughs> I'm very strict in my company. When I start hearing too much. Latency and all this. Hey, 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 I don't want to be a mean boss, but we gotta fix this, or I'm gonna be a mean boss because that drives me crazy. I'm hypersensitive to this um, because I am an extrovert who likes to have conversation and hangouts and talking to people, and all I want to do is feel close. And if I hate talking to you because the technology, we have failed in creating a proper remote experience. So uh, actually, this next question actually is uh, very close to me, right? Um, people with disabilities, right? When when they and actually remote working, in my opinion, is a prime place for them to actually show their talent because there are very talented dis people with serious disabilities. It could be social phobias that they cannot go into physical space. You know, they cannot be among many people, right? And like in a train to go to work. And, and other other types could be more physical disabilities, right? So when it comes to phys, uh, like those kind of disabilities, where is remote working from your perspective, from your experience? Uh, where is it, uh, you know, and where are we in that? Because it seems like there's a lot of things that are, like the websites came on, right? Now we learn that people have, are colorblind. They can't see all the different colors. So as a UX person, user experience person, you need to design for that. Uh, accessibility, I may not be able to see, but I can hear. So if I go to a home page, I should be able to hear what's on that page. So when it comes to remote working, what, what has been your experience? And if you have any recommendations around that? Look, I, in my opinion, you, you just, you just mentioned one of the biggest advantages of going remote. I, I, I guess it's self-explanatory when you're, uh, can't walk or you can't oh you have uh low uh, low movement i don't remember what's the right word it just snapped out of my mind but remote is magical um remote is an incredible an environment for people who who have some mental health challenges that prevent them from being um a dominant figure in the company, which usually end up being introverted. There's no question about it that, that um, there is some mental health challenges for badly managed remote people because people feel lonely and overworked and, and stressed. But in general, remote is the ultimate opportunity for anybody with disabilities. This is, this is huge. And they are, if, and, because you're working at home, you also not only don't need to go to the office and everything, you are able to create the most optimal working environment. This is for disabled people and not disabled people. It's one of the magic 
of being able to be so productive is that you can create your working environment the way that it fits the best to you. There is no question about it that this new remote revolution, this remote movement has been incredibly, an incredible solution for anybody with disabilities. In general, remote is the ultimate equalizer for people that work in poorer areas, for people that are disabled, for for women, for, for anybody that is not being treated fairly in an office environment or in the right geographical environment. Suddenly, you have the ultimate equalizer. I mean, at the end wow. of the day, just because you can't walk um, does not say that you're not the best programmer in the world. But it has been very, very difficult for people going to the office. And sometimes people that function from poorer countries are way smarter and way more skilled. White countries, even poorer regions are way smarter, way more skilled than somebody sitting in New York or in Silicon Valley, which an apartment costs $10,000 a month and you can't take that risk. Or you have family that you cannot move from. Or even more important, talking about disability, what about... about people caring for other people with disabilities they can't move caretakers yeah caretakers why am i losing my words today <laughs> but <laughs> okay. but the, the the advantage is huge this is so many people are benefiting from this ultimate equalizer it's it's not even the same ballpark there is the mental health issue that you need to pay attention to the slight disadvantage um of remote work but statistics show that in general remote workers are happier and more independent so as much as there's quite a few people that are are suffering in silence which is a management responsibility there's also a lot of people that are loving it and are benefiting from it and enjoying their new life so so given the rich experience you've had you know not only living this lifestyle, but you're also implementing it day in, day out and facing all these challenges, right? And and answering them. What is your number one expert inside the $100,000? You can say Canadian $100,000 or US doesn't matter. Uh, it's, not as good, it's not good value. I, I'd rather <laughs> with US. <laughs> Let, let's, let's do 250,000 Canadian dollars. Nice. Uh, expert insight and advice for, for entrepreneurs and business owners who want to adopt remote remote working and remote workers i run i run a pretty sizable company in the in the multi multi-million dollars and i have i'm surrounding myself with um, a lot of ceos and founders and very very successful people who have a few money for lack of a better term and one of the only disadvantage, one of the things that I see that they complain the most is they're kind of missing on life, missing on their kids. I see these people working in the office 12 hours, 14 hours a day, kicking some butts, really doing great, but just working so hard. Everything that I mentioned in this interview, that creating an asshole-free uh, environment, building trust, 
creating connection, understanding people one-on-one. There's one huge benefit that comes with it. You're able to create the smartest, most independent employees you have ever imagined to have. Something that not imaginable the pre this remote work revolution. My employees are running the companies for me while I'm busy doing interviews in Engie and Sabir. <laughs> I don't need to work as hard as some of my many successful colleagues because I've invested heavily in making sure that my employees feel comfortable growing through mistakes like I did, becoming my partners. And these people are taking risk and creating ideas and being the engine of my company instead of just the CEO, like many of my colleagues. If you want to have a successful company, if while living your life, while seeing your kids, while not working 14, 16 hours a day, it truly is time to invest in your in your employees, in their mental health, in their empowerment, in their ability to make mistakes. And that will make you not just more successful, but happier and more independent as a CEO. Sharon, thank you for being on the show. And thank you audience for tuning in again. We have fabulous and phenomenal guests like Sharon sharing their expertise and their uh, you know, wisdom and knowledge in, and their experiences um, uh, with us. So keep on tuning in. So and until next time.